Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. People v. Mark Mitchell decided May 24, 2022. Garcia, J. Defendant waived prosecution by information, pleaded guilty to fraudulent accosting, Penal Law Section 165.301, and was sentenced to time served. He argues on appeal that the term accost should be narrowly construed to require a physical approach and an element of aggressiveness or persistence that is directed toward a specific individual, rather than the public at large. We reject that proposed definition, hold that the complaint was facially sufficient, and affirm. Because defendant waived prosecution by information, we judge facial sufficiency by the standard applied to a misdemeanor complaint, CCPL 170.653. People v. Kalen, namely that the accusatory instrument need only set forth facts that establish reasonable cause to believe that the defendant committed the charge defense, People v. Dumay, CCPL 100.404, b. Reasonable cause exists when evidence or information which appears reliable discloses facts or circumstances which are collectively of such weight and persuasiveness as to convince a person of ordinary intelligence, judgment and experience that it is reasonably likely that such offense was committed and that such person committed it. CPL 70.102. The complaint in this case met that standard. A person is guilty of fraudulent accosting when he or she accosts a person in a public space with intent to defraud him of money or other property by means of a trick, swindle or confidence game, Penal Law Section 165.301. In pertinent part, the complaint alleged that defendant was standing on a Manhattan Street corner next to two milk crates set up as a table. On the table was a black box with a slot for money and flyers describing how to donate to homeless shelters. According to the complaint, defendant positioned the table in a way that blocked the sidewalk, causing at least 75 pedestrians to have to walk around him in order to continue walking on the sidewalk. As pedestrians did so, defendant asked them to help the homeless. In response to a question by a police officer, defendant said that donations go to a church on 116th Street, but he was unable to state the name of the church or the name of the person that receives the money. Although defendant told the officer that he was the P resident of the NYC Homeless Outreach and gave the officer a laminated card which stated he was affiliated with that organization, he later admitted that most of the proceeds went to him. On appeal following his plea, defendant claimed that the accusatory instrument was facially insufficient as to the fraudulent accosting charge. The appellate term affirmed, holding that the accosting element was satisfied by allegations that defendant asked passing pedestrians to help the homeless, citing language from a criminal court case to the effect that this element requires that, defendant take some affirmative action to make contact with the victim for the purpose of involving the individual in the scam citing People v. Morrison, quoting People v. Tanner. A judge of this court granted defendant leave to appeal. In interpreting a statute, we look to effectuate the intent of the legislature, see Patrolman's Benevolent Association of City of NYV City of New York. The clearest indicator of legislative intent is the statutory text, and we therefore start with the plain meaning of the language itself, see Mayevsky v. Broadalbin Perth sent.
school dist. Applying that well-settled standard leads us to reject defendant's argument that a cost as used in the statute requires a physical approach and an element of aggressiveness or persistence. A cost is not defined in the penal law, and, accordingly, to discern its meaning here, we look to dictionaries from the time of the statute's enactment as well as the statute's purpose and history, see in Ivith R. V. Limited Realty Company, People v. Ocasio, McKinney's Cons Laws of NY, Book 1, Statutes Sections 232-234. During the relevant period in 1952, when the legislature created the offense of fraudulent accosting, contemporary dictionaries defined accost to mean either to approach, to speak to first, or to address, see for example Webster's New World Dictionary of the American Language, 1951, to approach and speak to, speak to first before being spoken to. Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, 1949, to approach or to speak first to, to greet. Indeed, a California appellate court looking for the meaning of a cost in a 1961 statute noted that the definition to approach, to speak to, to address was found in 10 of 12 dictionaries cited by the lower court and in all six of those dictionaries that were in print at the time the statute was enacted, Elmer v. Municipal C.T. No dictionary cited from the relevant time period limits the term to an aggressive or persistent physical approach. All the dictionaries cited by defendant in support of his proposed definition were published decades after the statute's enactment and, therefore, are inapt. Defendant's definition of a cost as including only persistent or aggressive conduct is also inconsistent with the Bartlett Commission's understanding of the term. In 1964, the Commission made a proposal later withdrawn to place the offense within a new harassment section of the penal law, so that it would apply only when the perpetrator acted with the intent to harass, annoy or alarm another person, Bartlett Commission, staff notes on proposed penal law section 250.10, at 387-390, 1964. It is inconceivable that the Commission would require such intent as a separate element if common usage defined a cost to mean essentially the same thing. See McKinney's Cons Laws of NY, Book 1, Statutes Section 231. As to the purpose in enacting the fraudulent accosting statute, the goal was to protect the public against the swindler who proposes by his acts to defraud innocent victims of property. Mem of the Citizens Union of the City of NY, Bill Jacket. L. 1952, CH 640, at 12, and to aid police in stamping out an ever-increasing number of swindle rackets, of which there are many variations, Mem of the City of NY, Bill Jacket, L. 1952, CH 640, at 7. Many of those swindles involved an initial approach that was benign. For example, the handkerchief switch begins with the perpetrator informing the victim that he has occult powers that enable him to increase the denomination of dollar bills, Mem of the City of NY, Bill Jacket, L. 1952, CH 640, at 8-9. In the pocketbook drop scam, the perpetrator tells the victim that he just found a substantial sum of money in a pocketbook and does not know what to do with it. A narrow interpretation of the fraudulent accosting statute, requiring an aggressive or persistent physical approach, would make it impossible for the statute to reach such conduct and would run contrary to the statute's intended purpose. See McKinney's Cons Laws of NY, Book 1, Statutes Section 234, Comment.
This point is brought home by the 1965 amendment of the statute, a noteworthy feature of which was the inclusion of language to allow for the perpetrator to manifest the requisite culpable intent either at the time and place of the original accosting or subsequently in any place. Richard G. Denzer and Peter McQuillan, Practice Commentary to Penal Law Section 165.30, McKinney's Cons Laws of NY, Book 39, at 515. This language embraces the fact that a swindler may engage in an initial approach that is ostensibly innocent from a conversational standpoint rather than aggressive or persistent and, later, manifests the requisite intent to defraud at another time and place. Lower courts have uniformly applied an interpretation of a cost that does not require any aggressive or persistent approach. Instead, to establish the offense's a cost element, Courts have required only that the defendant initiate contact with a potential victim through an affirmative act, see for example People v. Bannister, People v. Mellish. Indeed, stationing, with no accompanying affirmative action to make contact with a potential victim, is insufficient, as evidenced by the legislature's decision to remove that term from the statute, though defendant may have hoped that people would walk over to the table where he was seated, this essentially passive behavior was not accosting. Here, the accusatory instrument contained factual allegations sufficient to establish reasonable cause that defendant accosted the potential victims of his scam. The complaint alleged that defendant set up a makeshift table that blocked the sidewalk, requiring pedestrians to walk around him to continue walking on the sidewalk, and asked the passers-by to help the homeless. In other words, not only did the complaint establish that defendant spoke first to the pedestrians by calling out to them, but also that defendant engaged in an affirmative act tantamount to a physical approach, by blocking the sidewalk and forcing passers-by to maneuver around him to proceed. Defendant, citing the statutory language requiring that the offender accost a person in a public place, Penal Law Section 165.301, 1, also argues that the approach must be directed toward a specific individual, rather than the public at large. It is a settled rule of statutory interpretation that words in the singular number include the plural, General Construction Law Section 35, see also Antonin Scalia and Brian A. Gardner, Reading Law, The Interpretation of Legal Texts 129-131, 2011. This rule is applicable to every statute unless its general object, or the context of the language construed or other provisions of law indicate that a different meaning or application was intended, General Construction Law Section 110. There is no reason to apply that exception here, given that the statute was aimed at preventing members of the public, going about their business in public places, from being lured into fraudulent schemes, CCIT Bank and A.V. Schiffman, words in the singular may generally be interpreted to encompass the plural if doing so is consistent with the context and legislative intent, see for example Johnson v. Joy, interpreting a statutory term in the singular form to include the plural where such interpretation, in context and in light of the purpose of the statute, was clearly reasonable. A quick word about the dissent's proposal to define a cost to mean the following, to physically approach a specific member of the public in a persistent, aggressive, or otherwise particularly assertive manner that can also take the form of the perpetrator insinuating themselves into the victim's physical space. No relevant dictionary provides support for such a limiting interpretation. Nor has any court considering the issue applied anything remotely near that restrictive of a definition.
As discussed above, adoption of the dissent's approach would effectively make it impossible to prosecute the very schemes that the legislature sought to prescribe by enacting the provision. And, contrary to the dissent's dramatic warning that we come perilously close to criminalizing protected speech, where false claims are made to effect a fraud or secure money or other valuable considerations, it is well established that government may restrict speech without affronting the First Amendment, United States v. Alvarez. Addressing that potential constitutional infirmity was, of course, the purpose of the 1971 amendment adding the fraudulent intent element to the statute, CL 1971, CH 772, People v. Harris, Apterm First Department 1969, refusing to save the statute by reading into it that acts be committed, or that there must be a coexistent fraudulent intent. Lastly, dismissing the charges against a defendant who admitted that he falsely led members of the public to believe that they were donating to a legitimate charity that helps the homeless seems much more likely to undermine rather than advance the laudable goals of such organizations. Defendants' remaining contentions have been considered and are without merit. Accordingly, the order of the appellate term should be affirmed. Order affirmed. Opinion by Judge Garcia. Chief Judge DeFiore and Judges Canataro and Troutman concur. Judge Rivera dissents in an opinion, in which Judge Wilson concurs. Judge Singh has took no part. Decided May 24, 2022. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by Voice Pods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law.